If you would, please take your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7. We've been in the book of Hebrews for some time now. We'll continue for several more months in the book of Hebrews. And this morning we're finishing up with chapter 7. And we're going to be reading verses 20 through 28. Quite often, the, the author of Hebrews quotes from the Old Testament, and he won't say as it's found in the Psalms, or he won't say as David has written, or as the prophets have written. He'll say as the Holy Spirit says, and then he quotes the Old Testament. You see, he understood that the Bible was God's Word, and we need to understand that as well. And so as we read this passage, we understand that this is God's Word for us today. And so, out of honor and respect for God speaking to us from His Word, if you were able, please stand together with me. And we will read from verses 20 through 28 of Hebrews chapter 7. Hear now the word of the Lord. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath, but they became a priest with, but he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he, was a, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. Thus far, the reading of God's word, and you may be seated. Now, I'm sure that uh, most of you probably remember all the public prayer meetings that took place after 9-11 in 2001. Even our government for a while was, was rejecting the whole idea of political correctness. Um, well, they were rejecting it to some extent because in these public prayer meetings that the, that the government would sponsor and have put on in different places... Um, they still had to be a little bit politically correct. And so they would have leading the prayers up on the stage in front of all the people. Those who would be leading the prayers, you would typically find some liberal Protestant minister, a Roman Catholic priest, a Jewish rabbi, a Muslim imam, maybe a, maybe a Buddhist monk, and any, someone from any other religion that they could find to get up there and pray. And each one would uh, take their turn uh, during this prayer meeting in pray somehow. 
there seems to be a kind of, a, I don't know if it was so much a politically correctness as it was a let's cover all our bases mentality, right? Thinking surely God can be appealed to through at least one of these religions and maybe all of them we can appeal to God through them. Well, maybe there have been times when you've had similar thoughts. You thought, well, what's the harm? There's so many other religions out there, and if I can get a, a Muslim friend of mine to pray for me, that's good. And if, certainly if there's a Buddhist around, I'll get them to pray for me uh, too. Let's cover, let's cover all our bases here. You know, I'll pray to Jesus, and they can pray to Allah and to whatever is out there, right? Well, for most of us, I don't. Most of us in this room, I don't think we've ever taken those thoughts too seriously. I, I hope not. But I think there are times when maybe we do question the sufficiency of Christ in all these things. Um, we we even sing hymns about uh, being able to take our prayers to the Lord and, and leaving them there. But sometimes I wonder if we really think that is sufficient enough. We think that maybe. We need to do a little bit better. Um, and if we can do a little bit better, then we'll know better that God accepts us. And so we'll quit being so bad this next week. And maybe we go from church thinking, oh, this week I'm going to be better. Those things I did last week, they're not going to happen again. Or we, we think, in that way, God will be more pleased with me. Or we think, you know, I need to pray more. If I pray more... God would be more pleased with me. Or if I read my Bible more, God would be more pleased with me. Or if I was a better witness, if I actually would try to witness to somebody every week, well, if I do that, that's what's going to take for God to really be fully accepting of me. Now, I don't want you to get me wrong here. I'm not saying these things are bad or that we shouldn't do them. But what I am saying is if we're thinking that is the basis on which God will accept us, then we're missing the boat. You see, God has accepted us in Christ Jesus. And when we try to add something to that as the basis for God to accept us, then we miss the boat. The author of Hebrews is writing to many first century Christians who are coming from a Hebrew background. And some of them are questioning if maybe... If maybe there's something besides Jesus that they need, maybe in addition to Christ, in order really to draw near to God. After all, that's what priests do. They, they bring people near to God. We've seen in verse 19, as we looked at Jesus as a priest in the order of Melchizedek last week, we see that that is indeed what he does in verse 19. Uh, for the law made nothing purpose, perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. How do we draw near to God? Through the better hope of the, of the one who is a priest in the order of Melchizedek, when, in the priesthood of Jesus Christ, is what actually draws us near to God. But they may have been thinking, this doesn't look like what it's looked like for 1,500 years. Do we need another priest besides Christ to bring us near. The author was assuring them that Christ alone was all that they needed. 
And the author is assuring us that Christ alone is all that we need. And Jesus himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. And Peter and John in Acts chapter 4 reminded the, uh, the religious leaders. They said, salvation is found in no one else. For there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. The author is pointing out that Christ is not only sufficient to bring us to Christ, he is the, to bring us to God, that he is the only way to God. The role of the priest is to bring people to God. And Jesus is that priest who will bring us to God. And so this... Um, this morning, I want us to see how the, the author of Hebrews reminds us that Christ really is all we need. Is it, once again, he looks at the superiority of Christ and the superiority of Christ's priesthood. And so you see in your bulletin, we have, as a good sermon will, right, three points, an introduction, three points, and a conclusion, right? So the first point here is Jesus is uh, talking about the superiority of the priesthood of Christ and why it's all we need. And he says it's because it is installed by an oath. Verse 20, it was not without an oath. Uh, others became priests without any oath, but he became a priest uh, with an oath when God said to him, the Lord is sworn and will not change his mind, you're a priest forever. Once again, going back to Psalm 110, verse 4, uh, he has been making much out of this verse in, these last, in this chapter especially. Um, and we've already seen him talk about God's oath and the importance of God's oath when he talked about the oath that God made to Abraham a couple of chapters earlier and saying, you know what, God cannot lie. And and to even make it more important or, or, or more definite to Abraham, he said he, he made it with an oath. God cannot lie. And God swore. He says, I swear on myself. No one greater to swear by. I swear by myself. And so Jesus, back in Psalm chapter 110, verse 4, we see the, the psalmist saying there's an oath made to him about his priesthood. He says, you will be a, a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. God will not change his mind. He made a promise and he swore it on an, uh, on an oath. God does not change his mind, which is a good thing. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We're going to see that later in Hebrews. But when you begin to look at other religions, maybe sometimes they're deities, false gods as they are, they may change your mind. You know, or maybe you didn't know, that Allah is capable of changing his mind. He is all-powerful. Uh, he is sovereign, and in his sovereignty, if he wants to change his mind, that's perfectly fine. And so for a Muslim, what they believe is, God, is Allah's will for them today Come judgment day, Allah may have changed his mind and said, no, that was wicked. Even though that day they did that act, they thought it was right. Well, our God is not like that. Our God does not change his mind. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
and he's told Jesus, you are a priest forever. He'll never be replaced. We'll never need to seek another or to look for another. And he is a guarantee, as he says in verse 23, he is a guarantee of a better covenant. Now we had this as the first time the, the word covenant's been introduced in the book of Hebrews. We're about to get into it here in just in the next several weeks. And we're going to go talk a lot about the covenant and the importance of the covenant. But he says he is a guarantee of a better covenant. And God has sworn it. He's installed by an oath and an oath from God. It won't change. And that's a good thing. And it's a good thing that he is sworn to be a priest forever. And he lives forever. We see that in verses 23 through 25. Now there have been many priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But Jesus lives forever. He has a permanent priesthood. Therefore he's able to save completely those who who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Now, I, had a, I had a pretty good life growing up. I was a young, young man. Um, actually, not a man yet, a child. Um, I never really had anything to worry about much unless I misbehaved. And then I was worried mom and daddy would find out. And the worst part about them finding out was the punishment that came as a result of it. But uh, on major things, I really never had anything to worry about. I didn't, I didn't question if there was going to be a roof over my head. I didn't question if there was going to be food on the table. I didn't question if I was going to have clothes to wear. See, all of my needs were provided by hardworking parents. Now, things could have been a lot different if something had happened to my parents, and I could have been left without those parents. Things would have been pretty, could have been pretty rough on me. I wouldn't have had quite the assurance of a roof over my head or food in my stomach or, or clothes on my body. It could have been quite different. As a child, you see, as a young child, as any young child, I was, I was very needy. I needed all those things. I needed those things provided for me. I had loving parents that did provide those things for me. As fallen human beings, we're all needy as well. We need a priest to bring us near to God. What would happen if we lost the priest who was faithfully doing these things? What would happen if our priest died? This is part of the older covenant. They would have a priest, maybe a good priest for a while, and then he would die, and they wouldn't know exactly what the next priest was going to be like. We have records of priests in the Old Testament who were not so good. We're not necessarily bringing people to God and not pointing people in the direction to God as he should have. They were certainly not able to save completely, but the priest that we have in Christ Jesus is able to save completely, as we see in verse 23, because he lives forever. And he's always there making intercession for us. A commentator named Howell Jones, he says this, What is in view here is the uh, impermissibility of, of setting any limit to the salvation that Christ completely procured in his death and lives to bestow in its totality. 
His people dare not even draw a line in their own minds, saying to themselves, Help me today, he will help me today, but will he help me tomorrow? Or he helped me in this need, but will he help me in that? Or he forgave me this sin before, but what will he do so again? You see, he will ever live as their Savior, and he will never fail to forgive them. It's a good thing we have a priest that lives forever. Not a priest who's going to change his mind on these things, but he's a priest forever who's constantly seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. Well, the third point. We've seen that he was installed with an oath and God will not change his mind, that he's a priest who lives forever and therefore able to constantly uh, meet the needs that we have. Thirdly, he is a priest of superior character. Look with me in verse 26 through 28. <clears throat> Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priest who does not, who, who, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. You see, the Old Testament priests, they were sinful themselves. All of these qualities which he mentions about Jesus here in verse 26, these holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, he's exalted above the heavens. These priests weren't like that. They were sinners themselves. We've already mentioned that some of them did wicked things. You think of the, even the sons of, of uh, uh, Aaron very early on in Leviticus 10. They do things they weren't supposed to do. Offered strange fire in worship. Misleading people and what they were supposed to do. And God destroyed them for it. And we see throughout the Old Testament priests leading people in directions they shouldn't go and doing things they shouldn't do. They themselves were not, were not good high priests. But Jesus himself comes as one who is holy and blameless and pure and set apart and exalted above the heavens. A good high priest and this superior high priest must possess these qualities. All other high priests needed cleansing themselves. They couldn't go into the Holy of Holies until they first made a sacrifice for their own sins. It's because they were sinful. And so once they had made sacrifice for their own sins, then they could go and make sacrifice for the other people. But they didn't meet the qualifications necessary to go there by themselves. But Jesus fully meets these qualifications. We've already read in Hebrews 4 where the author says that Jesus was tempted in every way just as we are yet without sin. <laughs> he is holy and blameless and pure and set apart from sinners. Even though he came to to rub shoulders with sinners and to uh, be with them and to talk with them and to show them his grace, yet he was without sin himself. We come near to God not in our own works, not through the works of a priest who is himself a sinner, but we come to God through a great high priest who 
perfectly obeyed all the law's demands, not only externally, but with the right attitude. I'm doing this to glorify my Father in heaven. I love him. That's the reason I'm doing it. <laughs> and I'm doing it for you, too. I'm doing it in your stead. When God sees Christians, he sees us in the righteousness that is Christ's. How much righteousness is that? Well, that's the perfect righteousness, right? And so when we begin to worry or fret and think that we got to do better so that God will accept us, we're missing the point. Yeah, we need to think of doing better and pleasing God because that's our lives have been changed and that's the way we want to live now because of the change and the grace and the goodness and the love that God has shown us but not to get us there because we know that we only get there through the work of Jesus Christ. He is the only one who can save completely and he has. So this morning when we come to the table here and we participate in the Lord's Supper and we take the bread and we take the wine, what we're saying is, I understand that it is through this work of Christ, this work of Christ which pays for my sins, that I have access to the Father because without this, I never would. And so as we come to the table especially and we see the, the, the elements, the Lord's body and his blood, why doubt? Why doubt that maybe we've really messed it up too much this week? Because here we're saying, I will always mess it up, but he never did. He's perfect. Why fear? He gave us this, this sacrament to remind us of his work for us until he returns. Why look anywhere else? Because it's only in Christ that we stand completely saved, now and forever. So he is all that we need. Let's pray together.